Welcome to Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we had another uh, global meetup with Ember Sherpa today. Yeah, the global meetup was pretty great. It uh, had a, quite a few lightning talks, more than I expected. And then uh, Gaurav Manjal talked about Twiddle. That was pretty cool. Very interesting uh, how that's... I, I need to dive into the Twiddle source code. I, I feel like I was a little bit lost, but definitely really interesting stuff. Yeah, the whole uh, the whole add-on conversation that we had came up again. I, I think everybody's really interested in that, although it's, like we said, it's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the, the main way that you would get add-ons included into Ember Twiddle would be by putting a little bit of pressure on to library authors to support Twiddle, and that seems kind of like a like a like a tough sell. Uh, so what else was there on uh, Global Meetup? There was uh, Ember CLI Opinionated, which is opinionated, so that was pretty fun. Uh, we had a bunch of talk about uh, ES6 uh, conventions and some really interesting polls about uh, whether to use const uh, all the time or let all the time. Always use fat arrows, which uh, you and I are actually divided on on this one, yeah? Right, we're in a super minority uh, when it comes to const versus let because um, I think we all just, we, we both just use const in everything uh, yep. unless you know you're going to define it as a let or unless you know you need to mutate it later. Yeah, so it's even less than that. Like, I don't know. I just use const until Babel blows up. And then right. I switch it over to let. Yeah, true. Yeah. So you have someone, yeah, you have someone swinging over your shoulder saying, Hey, you, you tried to reuse this. And then you evaluate it and you go, Oh, yeah, I did mean to use that. Or no, yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean to. I need to use a different name. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it seems to work fine enough. But, uh, but yeah, you, uh, you want to use the new ES6 fat arrows all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the main argument I heard from people was, Well, I use function everywhere unless I know that I want to use the context from starting area. It's my key to know when I see that I am somewhere in, internally using. Uh, the the this from the wrapping context and I look at it the exact opposite way of um, I use fat errors everywhere and I'll use the other function if I ever which I seldom do anymore need the actual context of the caller yeah and that's an interesting uh, point uh, I brought up the point that oh I should only, it's really good when you're scanning to to use that as a distinction and uh, and you just are like yeah well that argument reverse reverses pretty well and uh, only use function when you want the context not to be preserved. Yeah, and I, like I said, I, I rarely ever, I rarely ever use the invoking context. Um, like I, I don't think I ever do. And like any promise that I make, um, I, there's no way that I'm going to use the the con. I think it gets window or something by default, right? Uh, yeah. So if it's strict mode, I believe it's just straight up undefined. Yeah. So um, so most of the time, I'm just I never am going to use that. And then and then the few cases where I'm like I don't really care about it right now, I. Right often find myself adding it later so then i have to change function to be a fat arrow anyway right is there is there a way to uh to use to to not use strict and also transpile babel i think babel enforces use strict yeah i think you have to use strict for yeah, i think so I, I there's there's probably some flag to where you can allow it but yeah i don't know why you would you would want to do that but yeah so anyways the global meetup was really great and uh the links uh for the recorded episode this week if you if you missed it um are on a vimeo page that ember sherpa has been putting together so uh definitely check that out um i think it was really it's really worthwhile really great i like the uh the effort the community's pulling a lot of uh a lot of uh stops to to get um really good content here so definitely check it out on vimeo so this past friday we decided to live stream some ember weekend code editing that's a weird way to say that. Live coding? Is that the only... I don't want to use live coding to describe the thing because we actually live coded on live coded. Yeah, I don't know. We uh, we live coded on TV. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, we live coded uh, some, some Ember stuff, uh, Ember Weekend stuff specifically. 
and uh, and it was really cool. Um, I think Chase is going to walk us through the through some of the the code stuff, but uh, I just wanted to explain how we we decided to to do it. We were sitting at, at lunch, and I saw um, Corey Forsyth, uh, Bantic on Twitter, say that he was kind of thinking about uh, trying it, and I a couple of my coworkers have been doing it, so I just logged into their account and and did it. It was it was a really good time. Uh, we had a bunch of people in chat asking questions and. And uh, I think the cool the, the cool part about live coding is that it actually records the sessions. So if you are uh, if you're thinking about um, you know taking a look at it, uh, you can go back and watch old episodes, and we'll we'll likely do it again uh, pretty soon. So yeah, so Chase, basically, uh, you want to do a little summary of what we what we worked on, and so we we started um, we were trying to refactor the way we were we're dealing with episodes in the Ember Weekend website. This whole time we've been um, using a a single like. Uh, it's not really JSON, but it's, it's actually a JavaScript object, but it's a file that basically is our data source of all the episodes. So we actually version our episodes. We don't have a data, uh, we don't have a database or anything. Um, and this was mainly so that we could just quickly deploy. At, at, in the beginning, we were using Firebase, and now we're using DivShot. And so there was there was no other external dependencies. It was just a completely static site with no services to maintain or anything. Um, we have no admin page or anything. Um, and that's kind of, um, over time, it's gotten to be kind of unwieldy, like... Um, there's a lot involved in editing, um, you know, creating, creating a new episode, adding all of the, um, adding all of the show notes, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of boilerplate template stuff, like pretty gnarly. Right. And we're finding that we're, we, in the beginning we had these very custom, we were like, we're going to customize everything. We're going to have like embedded little widgets. And so we didn't want to, um, we didn't initially want to put those in a database because we thought they were going to basically be like very custom for each note. And we find ourselves not doing that ever. Um, we basically just always just throw a link and then um, mention the person that, you know, or, or the the author or the organization that that's attributed to. Yeah, I was just about to say that the, the key points are really just the resource itself that we're trying to reference or that we mention, and then also the attribution of that resource. So it, it, it's, it ended up being this like really repetitive thing where the templates always end up looking really close to one another. And they look, they look like data. Yeah, and so we started initially, we were like, um, um, or I should say in the, in the beginning, what we did was we kind of did this little trick where we basically had an episode service um, that we were like, later on, we could pull in number data and just have this also return the same thing. But for now, we're going to kind of make this service kind of like look like it's returning number data responses. Um, and so we basically had a way to say find all and all that kind of stuff to get all our episodes or find them by the slug. That's yeah, and it was, just, it was just like import at the top of the file. And then, you know, when you do query all, it returns all of them. And when you do a specific one, we do a little filter. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. And then recently we've been getting more and more into Ember Data uh, just with, you know, work projects and other side projects. And uh, we've really gotten to know uh, how the adapter and serializer layers work. So we were like, well, we could totally just fake out Ember Data and just have a adapter that hits this thing. And then we get like uh, all the benefits of having Ember Data. And later on, you know, we can kind of move this off to a server if we want and that shouldn't have to change much. And that's the way, the route we started going. And then we realized that there was, there's a lot of work we're having to do to make this behave like a database, make this file um, behave as if the, you know, like if we had foreign key issues, you know, where, which, which ones do we put the foreign keys on? We, do we put on an episode? Do we, does the episode have an array of foreign keys to the show notes or does it the other way? And the idea, uh, yeah, the idea of hard coding the IDs to the show notes inside the episode seems so tedious. Like it, it's not so bad when you're like each show note has a little episode ID. Oh, this show note belongs to episode one. That's not a big deal. But doing the inverse of that, saying like episode one has uh, show notes one through six and so on, like that just seems so tedious that yeah, it, was, it just wasn't going to be worth it. 
Um, so kind of like toward the end of this, of the, of the day, it was like, basically, I think it was already five o'clock and everybody was going home and we were like, you know what, what this, what we could do, we could just use Ember CLI Mirage, like just use it in production because that's what we're really doing. We have a, a JavaScript object that looks just like what you would do if you were like creating records in Mirage and allow our adapters to just hit the network, which will then hit Mirage. Well, yeah, and, and this is all like basically instantaneous because Mirage is taking over XML HTTP request. So we still, we don't actually incur any performance penalty, uh, but we're able to use uh, Mirage's rather sophisticated uh, database system now, which kind of like alleviated a ton of complexity that we were already having. We're able to automatically, when we fabricate them in the default scenario, we're able to hard code the IDs that we, uh, that we want temporarily. And basically what this is going to allow us to do is we're going to be able to push this to straight to production for a while. And then, you know, whenever we get to building our API backend, we'll just remove the Mirage part and seed the data from our existing files into the, the backend and then point our API there and it will just it'll just work. We'll just be able to remove that complexity. So I thought this is a really clever way to kind of leverage some some really good good ideas, really really good abstractions, and at the database layer, it's kind of cool. I mean, and, and obviously, you know, like if I can do it, I should totally use Mirage all the time, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. It's not just for development. I'm doing air quotes. No one can see the air quotes. We're on. It's audio. Come on. So uh, <laughs> using using libraries in ways that uh, the authors did not intend. That's uh, that's what we do. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty fun though. I, I I had a really good time with that, and uh, I've I've done some of the abstraction of the of the templates into the show notes objects that we have, and uh, and that's kind of slow going, but uh, but in the end we're gonna end up with a service that's gonna be like pretty pretty robust, and I think that will allow us to write uh, a backend. I think we're 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 kind of toying around with the idea of writing the backend in Elixir, uh, kind of as an explorer exploration kind of project. Um, I don't know. Have you have you had any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't matter to me uh, what we write it in. It's going to be a pretty simple thing in the beginning, but um, but I know you know at least I'm planning on um, kind of using if we if we have a backend, um, kind of offloading some of the work we have to do initially, like maybe be able to do the data entry uh, in this tool rather than because right now every time we um, every time we push a new episode, we actually have to we have to actually make a commit on the Ember Weekend website. And uh, that seems odd. So I'm trying. To, I want to try and alleviate that. And I think that uh, you know, getting getting the data set out of the out of the repo is you know like the first step. But yeah. uh, but also I think right now we also have templates and things that we have to remove. Yep. Yep. I've been going uh, one at a time. It's slow going. I'm trying to live code those as well. Although it's uh, I think I titled the the live coding where I did that where it was basically the title was uh, it's not all fun and games. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be, that's going to be a, a little bit of a process. We have, uh, 20, 28 episodes. I think this will be 28. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be slow going, but, uh, pretty cool, pretty cool, uh, transition. I'm, I'm pretty excited about, uh, getting some, some additional, uh, kind of feedback. I think there, there's talk of us actually, I don't know, uh, the rate limiting situation on, uh, GitHub URLs, but it'd be really neat if we separated the episodes and the show notes into its own repo. And then just hit the raw link, um, as and then use that static file as the backend for our right. website. That would be really neat. And it should be cached, so it you know each person should only hit it once. So yeah, it should, should I, hit a rate limit. I just wonder if if GitHub has some some they, system well, in place to prevent you from from utilizing their service that way. 
Well, yeah, they have they have uh, something they do with the headers that keeps you from um, you know just importing some the JavaScript file raw uh, in a, in, a, in the browser. It doesn't return as like um, JavaScript; it returns as text plain or something. Oh, I see. That makes but sense. I don't think it would stop us. I mean, because we're we're doing the actual AJAX call. Right. Right. But um, but the, what what that would actually help is that um, uh, I constantly misspell things. And we get good PRs from people who say, "Hey, this is misspelled." They do a PR to the to the website, and we just fix it um, for the data of the actual episode. If yeah, we go I, to a database. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I love I love the idea of of having the episodes and the show notes be public and consumable easily, uh, because I think that they can be used as a resource outside of this. And be, enabling PRs would be really good. Even even if we don't, uh, even if we end up creating a backend in uh, something else like Elixir. Uh, I still want to have the episodes cached somewhere and be PRable so that so that it, we can have some help right. with, with typos and things like that. We didn't actually cover this, uh, but one of the reasons why we actually did a local um, file um, was for building. We actually have to generate a feed XML, um, and now if we push all these in a repo, the feed XML will also go in there. So you'd have like a show notes JSON, you'd have the episodes JSON, and then you'd have a, the feed XML, and then the website would just point to the raw link of the. Of GitHub probably for that feed XML. Right, exactly, and that that would be um, pretty great. I think there, there there's one other thing. So one of the other pieces of data that the show notes have is the um, is the timestamp, and we want to encode those into an MP4 so that Android phones and iPhones can uh, can skip to chapter markers um, more easily uh, on on podcast uh, devices. Like uh, I want to say I'm using Downcast right now. It's really nice to see like a nice uh, neat chapter summary. And then be able to next to the next chapter. I really enjoy that. And if we could pull that out, we can get the seek to on the website to automatically pull from the MP4 uh, timestamp at like some sort of compile time uh, or build time when we deploy that uh, the API. So it'd be pretty neat. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, look for us. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll be live coding. Uh, I want to say again next Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Next Friday. Yeah, we'll be live coding next Friday again for. A few hours. Um, we will be posting to Twitter, so be sure to follow us on Twitter, and uh, and we will let you know when we're when we're doing that. So there's a quick issue I ran into that I wanted to you know kind of get out there and um, make sure everybody is kind of aware of this because it's a it's a sneaky little issue that crops up when you're using in repo add-ons. Um, so if you uh, Ember generate an in repo add-on, and you you know you start developing it, and you're using all this ES6 goodness. Um, if you're developing in Chrome, everything might seem to work. But as soon as you go to use that in iOS or Safari um, or any other uh, browser that doesn't support ES6 um, natively, um, things will start breaking. Uh, so things like const, um, object deconstruction um, are not supported um, natively everywhere yet, um, but they are in Chrome. And so uh, this happened to me where I was. we were developing an app that ended up, it was, uh, it was an Ember CLI Cordova app, and everything seemed to be working when I'm, when I'm developing it. But when I go to run it on an iPhone, everything breaks. And this was why. So the solution is you actually have to CD into uh, the InRepo add-on and npm install uh, Ember CLI Babel. And that will allow the add-on itself to transpile its ES6 code into ES5. That's really neat. Um, so you have to save it to the InRepo add-ons package JSON, correct? Yeah, yeah. And it'll and it, I believe it gets a gitignore file in there uh, by default. So you shouldn't have to add it to... Um, to that but um but keep an eye out for it because you obviously don't want to version those node modules yeah very cool and i think there's an issue that uh that you found on uh, ember cli about this correct yeah there, there was an issue it was issue uh 4015 
Um, we'll, we'll put it up in the show notes. Um, it basically, yeah, this is where this is where I found the solution. It's obviously um, it was it was actually a pretty quick Google, but uh, it um, you know it, it kind of bit me. We didn't we didn't in initially know exactly why it was happening um, because everything was working obviously in Chrome, um, and then you're seeing that for some reason you have untranspiled code uh, in your in your browser, and then and then we finally inspected in the Chrome because in the Chrome one we were just assuming it, we didn't have. Um, that problem and that everything was transpiling correctly, but we we're like, how, how is this possible? Um, but then we looked in it and, uh, obviously they had cons and we we're like, Oh, well, yeah. Chrome supports all these new edge features and stuff. So, so how cool is it to see, uh, ES6 code untranspiled in Chrome though? Probably pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. But the one thing I noticed is there are certain features that Babel has that even Chrome doesn't. And I had, I had like yeah. run into it, like, uh, doing object deconstruction inside of a ES6 class. Um, wasn't working properly. Right. And I was like, mm, this is kind of weird. Well, whatever, I'll just do it inside of the function. And, and I was just kind of getting around all of these little things. <laughs> You're like, that's weird. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, maybe <laughs> this just doesn't work in a, you know, ES6 class. Like, that's and funny. so, so I kind of like, I should have caught it a little earlier than I did. Um, but I mean, it was, a, this was like kind of a, a spike app. So, you know, it was really short lived. Right. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll point to the issue in the show notes. And that's all we have for the Simber weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll talk to you next weekend.